Hello there, it's me, Darby. This is a show mostly about how people are coping through the coronavirus, and today's show is still kind of about that, but it's mostly about one man's experience as a black small business owner in South Minneapolis. Jeff Seidner, who's a friend of mine, also owns the South Minneapolis branch of National Karate, which some listeners will know as a collection of karate schools founded by my father, John Worley. As you know, South Minneapolis has been in the news for the past week after a man named George Floyd was brutally murdered by a Minneapolis cop. Um, If you somehow don't know about this story, I know um, I'm occasionally running into people in London who haven't heard about this yet. Just Google George Floyd, maybe hit up the Minneapolis Star Tribune website. Um, All of their Floyd coverage is in front of the paywall, so you don't need to log in or anything to read about it. So in Minneapolis, um, protests, and not just Minneapolis, it's Twin Cities and kind of all over um, the surrounding area, the protests turned to what I would call an uprising, and then that uprising seems to have been hijacked by bad actors, um, anarchists, who want to hide behind the good protesters to wreak havoc on the city, um, you know, with arson and looting and vandalism and destruction. I mean, but um, I have been wanting to get Jeff on the show for a couple of weeks now to talk about how he was handling the coronavirus because he actually put himself out there as an essential worker. And then this happened. And then I really wanted to talk to him. So no three good things this week because I am not in the mood to lift my or anyone else's mood. I think that we all need to sit with this and consider why it happened, why it keeps happening, and what we might be able to do as individuals to prevent it in the future. I say that, you know, knowing that it's already happened again. Like, even as America burns, cops are still killing people. Um, I saw a video of a man, you know, holding another man down with his knee and and a crowd yelling at him, get your knee off his neck, get your knee off his neck. It's still happening. So I say that I want us to help figure out how to stop this. And yet it just seems so um, hopeless and so impossible to change. So I'm going to throw a couple of links in the show notes, um, places where... You might be able to learn something about how to be, um, and I'm talking to the white people here, more than just not racist yourself, but to be anti-racist. And um, a couple of other podcasts, actually, that I I think are important to help understand what is happening in Minnesota and a New York Times podcast specifically about the policies that protect police and make it so hard to stop them from killing people. But first, please meet Mr. Jeff Seidner, six-degree black belt, owner of multiple national karate schools, and an all-around fantastic human. As always, my first question to him was just, how is he feeling? I'm, first of all, incredibly heartbroken over the uh, completely senseless, needless death uh, of George Floyd. Um, And, you know, the law enforcement community in general. I have many friends who are police officers. I've always been a a huge supporter of law enforcement. It is a thankless job. It is one of the toughest jobs on the planet. And the, to have the actions of this officer, these officers uh, widen that already fractured relationship is really, really frustrating and uh, really hard to see, hard to watch. Yeah. What are your cop friends saying right now? How are, how are they feeling? They're completely baffled. Um, you know, I, so many of these instances, uh, we get snapshots. And I've learned over the years to 
kind of sit and wait, you know, because you see something or you hear something and it looks one way. And then more information comes out and you go, okay, well, okay. It's still horrible, but there's, there's, you, you have more information leading up to what led to, to this or what led to that. Um, but this, there just seems to be no justification. I'm really, I, I want to know so badly what on earth the officer was thinking, what was mm -hmm. going through his head. I, you know, do I believe he set out that day to, to kill a black person? I, not necessarily. I really don't, you know, um, but there seems to have been, uh, there's potential history, you know, between them. More information is coming out about how they both worked at the, you know, bounced at the same bar or whatever. So I, I just, I really want to know um, the full story because there are a lot of question marks and all the cops that I've talked to um, have just been completely baffled by, by these, these actions. There's no justification for holding that position after he's already subdued. There's just, there's just none. And so it, it's really mind boggling. Yeah. And that's what's so hard about it. If it, you know, it, it'd almost be easier if it came out, oh yeah, he hates black people. You go, oh, okay, well, there's the reason. But uh, uh, without knowing anything, that's it, really, it's really difficult. Do any of your friends actually know him? No. Yeah. No, no, none of them do. Yeah. So let's back up a little bit. So as, as listeners will have known from my intro, you own a karate school in Southwest Minneapolis. I do. You were, you, you took off over the weekend, which I think was a really good thing for um, yeah. your mental health. Yes. <laughs> um, can you describe what you saw when you came home? Oh, I saw a community uh, just, well, I, <laughs> I saw uh, both heartbreaking and heartwarming things simultaneously. I saw a community that had been just destroyed, um, that I saw a community coming together in ways that we never thought we, we could or would need to, to help rebuild. And so it was just, you know, driving through, seeing all these businesses boarded up, all these messages spray painted from, you know, F the police to uh, please don't burn. There are people living upstairs, pleads to the protesters, like, please, you know, or this is family owned, please don't burn. And then, you know, Black Lives Matter and then justice for, for, for George Floyd and all, it, just the whole gambit of messages that are out there. It's just uh, surreal to see that. Uh, but then to see the, the, the fact that People have been out every day with brooms and dustpans sweeping up. There's no debris anywhere. You can you can drive through the the whole community. It's all cleaned up, you know, minus the the major you know structural damage. And they did that quickly. I mean, they just responded like that. And so that's amazing. And then the the food drives have been incredible. You know, somebody put out uh, a notice asking for a few bags of groceries, and you have this whole field full. Um, and so it's it's overwhelming in both a heartbreaking and a heartwarming fashion. Yeah, yeah. I also want to talk about because um, I know you some. I know you as somebody who is super super pro police. Um, and I remember even I remember very clearly that you got pulled over by a cop. And this is probably oh god, I don't know three I think or four it was two years, years ago. ago. Yeah, it was, it was a while ago. ago, right? Yeah, yeah. And you went, went so far as to post a selfie with the white cop talking yeah. about how, how you felt like you'd been treated very fairly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I really wanted to put it out there. I just said, you know, um, I, I, I asked, you know, the young lady, I just said, do you mind if I, I take a picture of you to show the, the community that this interaction can happen? Mm -hmm. And at no point in time did I fear for my safety 
at no point in time did I feel I was being uh, unfairly mistreated. I was breaking the law. I deserve to get a ticket. My experience, uh, you know, the vast majority of my uh, adult experience with, with police has been, uh, they've been courteous, professional, and often more than fair. Often, you know, way more than fair. Um, and so that, that's, you know, we're all, we're, we're uh, a product of our experiences, right? I have not been overtly um, uh, mistreated by law enforcement. I have not had that experience. And so I don't have that, you know, coloring my, my viewpoint. Uh, but I just wanted to, to put it out there that just said, you know, um, this can happen and it can be okay, you know, on, on the surface or at the core, I, I think that people are all inherently good and I, I will continue to believe that. So the, the past few years, it seems like these incidents are, are becoming, it seems like they're becoming more common. They're obviously not because it's just that we have these little- It's just that we're, we're being, yeah, they're being brought to- Yeah, we now, we now carry like a film studio in our pocket, everybody. Yep. Um, so have, has, I, I wonder if your feelings have changed at all about cops in any way, or if you still feel as pro-cop as you did when you posted that photo. Uh, they they haven't changed. I, I think that mm -hmm. you you know um, there's there's good people everywhere. There's bad people everywhere. I I it doesn't. I, I'll never um, just in my heart be able to generalize and go. Oh, cops view us as this. I I just won't ever make that statement, and I won't I won't ever feel that way um, because you just you don't know what 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 is in people's hearts. Only you know only God does. You know, and so. I'll, I'll, I, the, the short answer is no, my, my views have not changed. I still support law enforcement. I still believe that um, nobody hates a bad cop more than a good cop. You know, mm -hmm. and it, it just, uh, it's, it's, that's why it's so heartbreaking to see this relationship continue to fracture uh, and that, that divide to continue to widen. Yeah, what do you, so I have, I have friends who live in the third precinct and, um, and, and they have reported that they feel, and these, you know, now these are white people. They, I think everyone that I'm thinking of right now, but um, have said that they feel like that young black men, especially, are really are unfairly targeted in that precinct. And I'm just wondering what you make of that. Um, you know, I, I, I would be ignorant to to say that they're they're not. The numbers would certainly, you know, support that. Um, and as to why that is. You know there are a lot of reasons why why that that could end up being the case, and it doesn't necessarily stem from uh, uh, systemic racism. Um, it could, when your your job is to work in a community, and you're constantly bombarded with the the worst of of that community, um, it can't not affect you. And I, and this is not um, uh, an excuse at all. It's just a reason as to why that that might be. The, the case, why the numbers might support that. Um, but I, uh, the short answer is I really don't know. I, I can't speak to any certainty one way or the other. Um, I'm sure that just given the, the demographics that it, it is absolutely true. But I was raised by two very loving, uh, God-fearing parents that taught me early on that those in authority, whether it's law enforcement, whether it's teachers, were going to look at me and have certain expectations and those expectations were going to be very low you know and that I was in no way to ever allow that perception to 
uh, cloud my expectations of myself or my parents' expectations of me, which was always going to be very high. Um, and and there's an accountability that I grew up learning that I had to take for myself, regardless of what those in authority or those around me see me, how they see me or how they view me or what they expect of me, that I have to rise to my own potential. And that's, that's how I was raised. Mm -hmm. How has, how has your, um, how did you find your way to karate and how has that karate training um, continue to bolster those the, the lessons that you just that you just told me yeah about. absolutely I you know I, I got picked on in junior high school and wanted to learn how to defend myself and yeah. um, you know I remember in, in junior high school a kid who was uh, he was a, a, a white kid he was a bigger kid kind of a bully and uh, would kind of push me around and pick on me uh, but then at some point we ended up kind of becoming friends, I guess, you know, and I was helping with him. I was a, I was a nerd, hard to believe. I'm glad you're <laughs> sitting down. Um, but I was helping him with his homework and um, uh, he told me, and I'll never forget this. He goes, you know what, Jeff, there are, uh, there are blacks and there's niggers and you're black. You're cool. You know, I just want you to let you know. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Thank you. <laughs> I think, you know, it's just, uh, and there's a lot of people that, that still feel that way. You know, it's, it's just, it blows my mind, but I got involved in martial arts training because I needed to find uh, an inner strength that I didn't have. I was very scared and to be scared to go to school is a horrible feeling. It, it's just a powerlessness and martial arts gave me the ability to, to have a, a choice in how I handle situations, a strength to have uh, the confidence to know that I can uh, stand up for myself, I can protect myself, I can protect others. Um, it is the most life-changing thing that I could have ever done uh, for myself. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I think it should be required training for all, uh, everybody aged absolutely. like 10, 10 to 16. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and then hopefully beyond. Um, so, so speaking of 16-year-olds and um, and young people who have been in, engaged in the destruction of South Minneapolis. And it's, yeah. and it's not, it's, and then this is not all young people. There are definitely, yeah. I've seen video upon video upon video upon video of older white guys who are doing a lot of this destruction yep. and white mm -hmm. women, even white women. Um, I saw the video of, of a white woman spray painting BLM on a building and a bunch of black folk coming up to her and saying, no, 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 no you know they're going to blame us for that right like yeah we're not asking for your help really. yeah you're, you're <laughs> not helping <laughs> yeah you're not helping so um but but i want you to specifically speak to who might have um reached a boiling point of frustration and and is tempted to act out in a way like how what what counsel i'm just wondering what you might say to that person um I, I would say that you, and it sounds cliche, but you can't fight hate with hate. And this destruction, um, the danger that I see right now going around is people caught in wanting to understand the, the feeling that incites the violence without condoning the violence. If you condone it, then you must be uh, against the reason for protesting. And that's not true at all. Um, and, and I don't believe that, I don't buy into the acts of violence being out of justice. I think it is an easy way to mask 
um, wanton violence and destruction. And I, I, I don't condone it and I never will. I would say that um, if the goal is to heal a divide that is formed over 400 years, and if the goal is to mend uh, and build trust, that uh, violence will never be a way to accomplish that. It may bring attention to it, you know, but it will never accomplish the goal of, of healing that trust. All it does is deepen the divide. If um, I was telling somebody earlier today, if you punch me, I'm going to want to punch you back. That's a very human, very uh, uh, human reaction, and it's an understandable reaction. Um, and I might punch you back, and I might punch you harder than you punch me. Mm-hmm. And, and if I do that, it may deter you from ever wanting to punch me again. Now, in the self-defense world, we call that self-defense, right? What that doesn't do is it doesn't get to the root of why you wanted to punch me in the first place. Mm-hmm. And whatever that root is, it's still there, and it is possibly even deeper now. And so that's not a way to heal that divide. It just deepens it. And that's another thing that's really breaking my heart over this is the resulting violence and, and looting and destruction. Any mistrust that was there between the law enforcement and the community is larger now. It's not smaller. There's a spotlight on it, true. But that mistrust, that divide is larger. What are you hearing on the ground in terms of who actually is causing all the mayhem? Like, what are you hearing from your your neighbors? Um, I haven't uh, spoken to anybody who's personally witnessed uh, the the violence that's going on. I hear the same thing that you do on the news is that a lot of these uh, groups are outside forces that aren't a part of the community coming in to cause this. Then they kind of retracted that and found that you know uh, a lot of the St. Paul arrests were people that that are from the area, but um, uh, potentially white supremacists that are that are in here and and causing all this destruction and and feeding you know masking themselves as protesters and and feeding. The short answer is I have no idea. Um, you know you hear what you hear on the news and that's that's all I have to go on. And it seems that a lot of the people that are are intentionally doing the, the, the looting and the destruction are not uh, part of the, the peaceful protesters. There are two different groups going on here. Yeah, they're using the protest as a cover. Yep. For the... Which, again, is, is just uh, the damage that that is doing is uh, it's just heartbreaking. It really is. Yeah, yeah. Have you heard of these guys who... Um, have been organizing online and under and and their hashtag is a boogaloo. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. If, uh, listeners, if you're not familiar with that term, it's a code word for a race war. And so it's basically these right wing militia groups. And who knows if they actually ever showed up in Minneapolis? I don't know. But there, I, is, I there certainly okay. were dozens and dozens of them online posting photos saying Minneapolis, we're coming for you, boogaloo. Like, what do you make of that? As a Christian, I believe in uh, spiritual warfare, and I feel that that is what's going on right now. There's, there's, um, the enemy is just feeding off of all of this uh, uh, hate and all of this fear, and people are taking advantage of that for their own agendas, for their own purposes, and it's being masked in, in with the Black Lives Matter movement or the you know pro law enforcement and and all. I mean all of these divides are just getting widened by all of this. And that's what's so hard to see because you can't, 
I don't know how you stop that. I don't know how you, you know, uh, other than to be uh, an example and rise above it. And that goes to my point about the peaceful protest versus the, the looting and the rioting. The only way you, you um, heal that systemic fear or whatever it is that's causing uh, the racism Mm-hmm. is to rise above it and continue continue to rise above it and continue to provide uh, an example of love and peace. Um, uh, otherwise, it just, you know, that, that clash just continues to get larger and larger. Yeah, I want to give you a chance to say a little bit more about that because you said something about what's causing the racism. I mean... And so, and maybe, and correct, and I'll tell you what I think is causing the racism, and then you, yeah. and then you, and then you tell me. I think the racism has been caused by um, hundreds of years of parents passing yep. lore down to children that black men are scary, yeah, and that black people are are not smart or they're lazy. That's what that's that's what I think it is. I don't think it's actually black people exhibiting those traits. I think it's it's stories that parents are telling to their children. Being, it is absolutely being taught and it's being passed down. And it's the, um, I don't think that, I was talking with my father about this uh, a while ago and, and um, the, the abolishment of slavery, you know, getting, uh, uh, having you know, the slaves freed, there are people that never got over that. Me- meaning white people that never, that, that really feel like they lost something that they had and that attitude of you know we had this and we got it we had it taken away has been passed down from generation Mm -hmm. to generation and they've never gotten over that that feeling of of this was taken from us uh this power this this country or or whatever um and we have most unfortunately an administration that feeds that 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 fuels it and it's it's so frustrating. Last police question, then I promise you we're going to move on to some more positive. Um, <laughs> not, not that police aren't positive. I, right. I, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, so. Right now, they're, they're, they're really not. So it's, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about how Minnesota has handled these cases, because Minnesota seems to have a disproportionately high number of these police killings. And it's, for me, I get really frustrated seeing that Philando Castile's murder yeah. is free and yeah. Justine D- Damon's killer it's is locked up. And I'll just pop in here and say that Philando Castile was a black man who was killed by a Latinx man who got off, who was acquitted. And Justine Damon, she's got another last name, and I can't remember what it is. It's complicated. Um, she was shot by a black police officer, a Somali-American. I think believe the first Somali-American ever to be on the force. That guy's in jail. Yeah. It, like, what do you make of that? <laughs> I, I don't know what to make of it. I really don't. And, and it's, I, I've seen people um, over the past couple of days try to directly address inconsistencies like that and to, to ask straight questions of if there was a citizen doing what uh, Officer you know, Chavin did, they'd be arrested on the spot and, and you know, pending further investigation, whatever. You know, why wasn't that done? What are, what are, basically, what are the rules? What are the rules for law enforcement Enforcement versus uh, regular citizen, regular citizens, and then uh, why don't how where are those discrepancies? And nobody has touched that question. Everybody has danced around it. I get that um, uh, law enforcement have to have a separate set of rules to protect them because of the harm that they're putting themselves in to protect us, you know. But 
what are those? What are those? And what, yeah. what is where it just, if we, if, if there could be some clarity given to the general public on, well, this is how it works for law enforcement. And the reason it works that way is because of this, then we could do with that what we do with that, right? I mean, you could, you could still say that, you know, that's not fair, that's not consistent, but you, at least you would know. But we have no idea. I, I have no idea. And, and nobody seems to be willing or able to, to touch that. And so that's really, that's going to continue to fuel the mistrust mm -hmm. and the upheaval until that is, until there's a reason given to that. And the fact that Mohammed Noor was really the first officer to see, you know, any real consequences about this does not help <laughs> at all. I just, I was, um, I remember hearing about that going, oh man, if he's actually the first one convicted, that's not going to look good. It just doesn't. No. And I, I don't know what to do with that. I really don't. Yeah. So that's, it sounds like that would be one piece of advice you might offer. So I'll, I'll flip my other, my, my question um, when I asked you for advice for young people who are frustrated um, and feeling oppressed. I'll ask you also for advice for if you, if you had, if you were in charge of the police and it was your, and it was your decision, and you know, mm -hmm. this is not law that had to be passed by some Congress or something, you could just make a few changes yeah. in how law enforcement relate to the community, what would your advice be for them? Uh, I would be, um, I would say make the, the, the stipulations or basically the, the rules uh, clear to everybody. So everyone is on a level playing field as far as you know what you're working with. It's illegal for me to go up and punch somebody in the face, but if the law enforcement does it and they have justification, okay, I get that, you know, and so what are the, what, how does it work? Make it clear, make it, uh, make it well known so that there's some level of understanding of necessary force versus excessive force and the consequences that directly correlate uh, between uh, certain actions and, and what, what led up to those actions. Don't, because it's all swept under a rug and it's all kind of this in-house you know stuff that goes on and we're out here wondering what on earth is going on and why is this and nobody's answering nobody's answering that nobody's addressing that and so it's like um, a kid asking a parent why can't I do this and them going because and then just leaving it at that it doesn't you know it doesn't do anything to to uh, uh, to, to heal that so yeah. I would say um, just be transparent and if you want to develop trust there has to be full transparency. And when there's not transparency, when you're trying, then, then you're protecting your own. When you do that, you're going to incite this, you're, you're gonna feed this mistrust and the problem just continues to perpetuate itself. That's why no progress has been made uh, because we still have this. And so the change that needs to happen each side, and I hate using the word side because it, uh, um, it means that there's, there's conflict, but there's the law enforcement side and there's the community side. Each side has to take responsibility for their side rather than trying to force the other side to, you know, to, 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 come, to, to come to terms. The community has to rise above the violence and, and set the example of you as law enforcement can trust us to be law-abiding citizens, because we know that you're putting your lives on the line every single time you pull somebody over, and I would not want to be in that position. So we're going to demonstrate that you can trust us by not continuing to, to, to do things that make you, you feel scared for your lives. And law enforcement has to go, you can trust us to be consistent with, the punishment will fit the crime. 
And if we step out of bounds, you can trust us to appropriately handle it swiftly and quickly and nip it in the bud. Um, uh, and we're going to let you see that so that you know that there is true justice uh, for everybody. The, the transparency is, is the key. Yeah, I've been hard. You talked about the the blue wall, kind of. You alluded to the, to the blue wall where where cops stick together no matter what. And I've actually been really heartened to see that at least in New York, there and, and all over the country, I guess police chiefs all all over the country have said no. In, in this case, this is there's usually when this the, these things happen, you get statement after statement after statement saying we've got to wait for the facts, we've got to wait yep. for this, we've got it. And and this time there was very little of that. It, and Same very thing. much of no, that was absolutely that was stone cold murder. The, the officers that I talk to, same thing. I mean, a lot of times, you know, the understandably have to be careful and have to, none of them, they're all going, absolutely, this was, this was Yeah, yeah, even my uncle, even my uncle, who never, yeah. ever goes against the cops. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was huge. All right, yeah. I want to I pivot to the, the reason that I first wanted to have you on this, uh, this here, supposedly about the coronavirus show, <laughs> and that is um, because you when the schools got shut down, so the schools got shut down in Minneapolis in mid-March. March, March 15th, um, yeah. March 15th. So Jeff, rather than um, kind of sitting on his hands, um, you very quickly pivoted to teaching classes online. And even further, you actually put yourself on the line and, and chose to become an essential worker going out and doing um, yeah. deliveries. Like, can you talk a little bit about, about your decision process to, to take on that job? Um, well, as far as the shift job goes, and I'll just break in here again and say, if you're not familiar with it, shift is kind of like an Instacart in the Twin Cities, I think. Um, I saw it as I, I talking with my spoken with my brother and his girlfriend who'd been doing it for, for several months and had been doing really well financially. And so in a, at a time where, you know, um, we were all kind of going, all right, we're, we're losing money left and right. Our, our, our livelihoods have been, you know, the stream has been kind of cut in half. What can we do to generate something? Um, it seemed like a, a great opportunity to not only generate some income, but to truly help people that, that were at risk or people that wanted to uh, needed to stay home and be safe and to be out there and, and do some service. So it felt, um, it felt empowering. And I'm, I'm not somebody who can just sit around and, and kind of be tied up and go, well, I just have to sit and wait and see what happens. I would rather, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna sink this ship, I'm gonna do it fighting the entire way. <laughs> you know, that's the only way I can, I can handle that. And so I'm doing everything I can to service our students, to service, you know, to, to, uh, service the community, regardless of what the result ends up being, I'll know that I, I went down fighting. Yeah. Were you scared at all doing it? Were you scared at all about um, your, your own chances you know, of infection? Initially, uh, yes. But as uh, more and more time went by and I spent more and more time out uh, in the community and maintaining, you know, the social distance, wearing the mask, washing my hands regularly, but, but living, being out mm -hmm. there, and, and living and continuing to be active uh, felt really good. And so yeah. I, I've, been, I've been doing that, yeah. Yeah, is it fun? Very, <laughs> actually. Yeah. It's, it's like a scavenger hunt where you get paid, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, but then also, I, you know, the, the, most of the time you don't have any, uh, any interactions with people. Mm -hmm. But there have been a couple times where uh, people have come out as I'm pulling up and they're all so incredibly thankful. They're just, they're, thank you so much for doing, they treat me like a, 
make me feel like a first responder, which of course I'm not, but, but the, yeah. the, the gratitude, you can just, it makes you feel like, okay, I'm really helping somebody out and making them mm-hmm. feel safe. They can stay home while I go do this. Okay. I feel that feels great. Yeah. And, and, and I think too, you know, it's, I think part of the reason that everything came to a head in Minneapolis is, you know, it, I think it, it does have something to do with the coronavirus. I oh, feel like it has people, a lot. It has yeah, a lot to you know, do with it. People yeah. have been, been either um, stuck home or mm-hmm. they are essential workers who have been out working. And and I say this from stories of, of friends who have experienced this, being forced to wait on entitled white people who don't want to wear masks. And, <laughs> um, and, and there was just a lot of like, like a pent up frustration or, or, or they don't have any money. And yeah, they have all of these things happening, and then this killing happened, and it seemed. I mean, I don't know. It was it was the spark. Yeah, I, I I think um, absolutely this is the result of months of pent up frustration, and uh, a lot of questions as to not the legitimacy of the virus, but the 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 severity of the the impact is. Have the actions been truly justified? There's a lot of questions around that. And, and the more time goes by, the more people have been, you know, kind of out and about, the more those questions get raised. But then we, we continue to get told, no, you have to stay home. You have to, for us as business owners, uh, the date to, at which we can operate keeps getting pushed back further and further. And the frustration level is, is huge uh, for everybody on, on, various, on various levels. So we were poised for an explosion and something like this was just uh was just enough is enough yeah and then on top of all that black people are more likely to die from coronavirus than yeah even the coronavirus is racist (laughs) (laughs) come on (laughs) (laughs) sorry (laughs) no it's true it's true um yeah have you ever been repressed by a virus no i don't think so no i don't (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah I was talking to my dad about it it, was just, it just seems like it's just like layer upon layer upon yeah. layer upon layer of shit yeah <laughs> it's, just, it's just it's just it's just Minneapolis just had the bad luck to be the top layer you know? yeah 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 really truly but you know honestly I, I look at this like I've looked at every situation in my life um, we have there there's a lot of reasons to be upset there's a lot of reasons to be disgruntled there's a lot of reasons to to feel rage, but we all have a choice in how we handle every single one of those situations. We can sit back, we can cross our arms and we can complain. We can uh, talk about the, uh, the unfairness of it all. We can talk about the inequity of it all, or we can be proactive and we can make decisions and we can build ourselves up and we can do something about it. You know, my, my dad was, um, and I tell this story a lot. He was the first black uh, mechanical engineer at 3M uh, back in the 70s. And the only way he was able to uh, even be considered for that position was to get a master's degree against other applicants, white applicants who have bachelor's degrees. And, um, but he, he never, never complained about it. Never. It, it's like, all right, I need to do this, then I'm going to do this. You know? And it's not right that he had to go above and beyond. But instead of, of sitting back and going, and focusing on the fact that it's not right, he just went above and beyond. And there, and our community is full of examples of people that have had the same circumstances, made different choices, and wound up at different places in life. And that's that's what I believe. Yeah. Well, you're a better man than than I because I, 
I find it, you know, I, I, I think I always think of um, Olivia Pope on uh, Scandal and she said her, one of the things her father always taught her was that you have to be twice as good to receive half as much. And yeah, it is. And, and it's, it's not right. And we have as a society have to fix that. Um, but in the meantime, keep rising above, you know? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. mm, all right. You have any other uh, words of advice for the listeners about how to, um, uh, <laughs> again, this show is ostensibly about um, surviving, surviving yeah. the coronavirus situation. And now I will add to it um, rioting and looting all over the goddamn country. Do you, have any, <laughs> do you have any any advice for people about how to control their stress besides martial arts? Which, oh, of course, gosh. everybody should be doing. Everybody should be doing martial arts. Absolutely. Um, uh, find, find an outlet that is productive and produces positive results, not negative results. Find a way to channel that frustration and energy into building and not destroying. And we will, uh, some, you know, some amazing innovations. Innovation uh, only comes from desperation. It doesn't come when everything's going great. <laughs> you know, that's mm -hmm. not when new things are created. It's when there's a major problem and then solutions have to be found. So be somebody that finds a solution, not somebody that contributes to the problem. Yeah. Jeff Seidner, thank you so much for coming Absolutely. on the show. I love you, man. And I um, I hope that your school stays safe. I'm just, I know. <laughs> so far, so good. So yeah, far, so good. So far, so thank good. you. And I, I love you and I love your family. Your family has done so much for me. I, I was talking with them. Um, uh, William Hill uh, about it. This was years ago when we first uh, were told that we were going to become owners. And, you know, we, he pointed out to me that, you know, looking around the country and all this, this, uh, you know, talk of racism and this divide, here we are, two black guys that were handed a major piece of an empire built by this old white guy from Texas. Explain that to me, <laughs> you know? Well, the reason that, that you were chosen to become owners is because you two are hustlers <laughs> and some of the hardest working employees my father's ever had. And um, that was, you completely earned that. There was nothing, there was, yeah, I'm gonna get emotional talking about it, but you guys, oh, you know. guys lead the way in the company and you did during the coronavirus. It was you and William who got your shit together and got the Zooms going and just, and like, we're not willing to sit down and let this thing roll over National Karate. And mm -hmm. had you both not been in there, I think that would, the company would be in a lot more trouble than it is. All right, yeah. dear. I will let you right. know. I'm going to try to get this up as, as soon as possible. But I like, I love doing the interviewing and I really hate editing it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do it tomorrow. So hopefully it'll be up soon. All right. Awesome. Let me know. All right. Thank All you. All right. Thank you so much. All right. And that is the show. What did you think? Do you think Jeff Seidner's a saint? Because I think Jeff Seidner is a saint. <laughs> I think that he um, has a generosity of spirit and an unflappable optimism that I do not think I would possess if I had um, his experiences. So I'm, uh, yeah, I'm impressed with that guy. And I'm really grateful that he gave us some time today. Um, you can find me all over the internet. I'm facebook.com slash Darby. On Twitter and Instagram, I'm Darby W. That's Darby with an I. Um, I hope to hear from you, and I hope to talk with you again real soon. Thanks for listening.